In the last uh, book of your Bible, actually in the first few chapters, there's something interesting that happens. This is the book of Revelation. You don't need to turn here, but this is uh, the first few chapters and something interesting happens. The risen Christ um, works his way through a type of pre-judgment prophetic word to seven churches in an area called Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, and as he does, these are, these are things which are representative for the church as a whole. And, and as he works his way through these seven churches, he identifies things in their midst, in their life, the life of their community, which are to be praised. He also identifies things which are to be condemned. He also identifies things that we would call maybe warnings. The first of those churches that are listed in Revelation chapter 2 is the church in Ephesus. And this was a church that was complimented. They, they were commended for their, for their firmness and their endurance in, in standing for the name of Christ in this world. But, but just on the heels of that commendation, we have this word. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Some people come to this, uh, this love you have at first, and they think, well, that's, that's their love for God, that you've abandoned your first love, and your first love should be me. And I can see how they understand that and take that, but contextually, I don't think that that's what Jesus means. I think he means you've abandoned the love you had for others. You once lived in a context of love. You once exercised love for people, brothers and sisters in Christ, or maybe those outside. And Jesus comes to this church and he says, do the things you did at first. Love people. You once had this love. You once did these works. You once cared for people. He says, repent. And do what you once did. This is a serious issue from the lips of the risen Jesus. And while that passage is, is, is kind of a primer for the rest of the book of Revelation, it should also be a wake-up call to the church of Jesus Christ. Not just in their day, but in every day. It should rattle the cage of every Christian church to the point... Uh, that we look inside and say, would he say the same thing to us? Would he warn us about our love? But see, that's the thing. We're, we're not talking here today in this text about every church that's ever been or every church that is right now or every church that's meeting on Sunday morning here in the United States or even in Spokane. What we're concerned about, what we need to be focused on is this church. We need to look at ourselves and ask, would this be the word to Indian Trail? Would the risen Christ warn us about our love? Would he compliment us? Would he commend us? Would he threaten us? That he'll take the church away as he talked to some of those churches in Revelation? Would he command us to repent and do the things we once did? In one way, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. Because when we talk about the church, 
It's tough to get a handle on that. I mean, there's hundreds of people that call this their church home. And so how can we know, really with any degree of confidence, what the church is doing? Maybe the best way we can evaluate this is simply by looking at our own heart. Maybe the best way we could evaluate this is by asking this question. If every person in my church, in the entrail, if every person in this church did what I do to show love to fellow believers and others, what would Jesus have to say? If everyone else walked through this world loving the way that you do, doing the actions that you do to show brothers and sisters love or to show those outside the community of faith love, what would Jesus have to say? Love is not a dead issue in the New Testament. In fact, as we'll see, it's one that has huge implications. It's all over the New Testament. It has implications for you. It has implications for others. It has implications for the body of Christ. It has implications for the glory of God. And so is it any wonder that this is what Paul prays in Philippians? I'm in verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Today we're going to look at this short prayer of Paul, but, but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to preach this as a prayer. I'm going to preach this as if it's an exhortation, okay? And now, before you say, well, you shouldn't do that, the Bible doesn't do that, I think in some ways it does. I told you last week, and I believe this is True, you can look in the New Testament for yourself. But as Paul recounts at the beginning of his letters what he's thankful for in, in the churches or what he's praying for in the churches, you can almost always see that bear out in the rest of the letter. That these are the things that he'll end up talking to them about. These are the things that he'll end up exhorting them to. And this will happen in the book of Philippians. So I'm going to exhort you today, looking at God's heart through the Apostle Paul here, and here's what I'm going to say. Above all things is, is this, let your love grow. Let your love grow. We'll look at this throughout this text. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, we've got to take just a minute and actually think about this idea of love. This is one that, that we probably take for granted as we read the New Testament. It comes up often and we think of God as love. We think he calls us to love. That's wonderful. But oftentimes, we probably approach this with wrong thinking about what love truly is. We approach love and we think that primarily it's about affection, Primarily, it's about what I feel about another person, the emotions that overtake me as I'm with them, as I'm interacting with them, as I think about them, as I have memories about them. I really love that person. Or conversely, I really don't love them anymore. See, that's about feeling. But, but love, biblically, is more aimed at, at not feelings but choices. Love is aimed more at actions. It's about volition. Whom, who will I choose to love? 
How will I act in love? You see, that's why in the book of Revelation, when he says, he says about the love you had at first, he says, repent and do the works you did. Because love is about action. Love is about doing something for another person. It is about valuing someone above yourself to the point that you act like it. This is a huge value in the New Testament. I told you this already. The Apostle Paul shows this throughout his letters in Romans. He says to the community there, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Ephesians 5, walk in love, he tells the church. Walk in love. Live your lives in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Colossians 3, after many other exhortations, he says, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The list could go on and on here uh, of the, the usage all through the New Testament about love and the calling of the people of God to love, especially one another which we'll see. But maybe the best way that that we could get our hands around this idea of love and what it looks like is to look at one of the most quoted passages. This is is one you'll, you'll really recognize. It is an often quoted passage. It's very seldom quoted in context. And it's very seldom even read in churches. You'll recognize it from an outdoor grassy venue with white chairs. Here it is. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. You can see in this passage the centrality of Christian love. This, this is one of the things that I always trip over when I do weddings. That first part, if I speak in tongues of angels, if I do these things, if I have all faith so to re- remove mountains, and if I have not love, and oftentimes I think at weddings people are thinking, if I have not this wonderful romantic love that produces all these tuxedos, wonderful. But it's if I have all of this spiritual experience and I do not show love to other people, I'm nothing. That's different. And then as you read through the rest of this, you see not only the importance of love, but you start to see the contours of a definition of love. Don't you? It's, it's, it's patient. It's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. You, you start to see that, that love in its interaction with people values them above itself. 
I truly love, I'm going to think of others. I'm going to act in their best interest. In other words, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice about what is best for another person. It shouldn't be any real surprise that the Apostle Paul is walking down this road. Really, he's, he's just echoing something that, that he had heard. In the epistles, he's really just recasting a teaching of the Lord Jesus himself. Listen to this in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's interesting, John 13, I was reading this this past week in the morning, and John 13, this is at the end of John 13, at the beginning of John 13, and throughout most of it, you know what it is? It's the story of when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. You remember that one? The very beginning of that says, Jesus, having loved his disciples, loved them to the end, and then it shows him serving them by washing their feet. You say, well, that's just... That's just weird. He loved them to the end. And, and then in the midst of that story of him washing their feet, he says, listen, what I've done, you do for one another. In other words, you serve one another. You show this type of love to one another. A, a love that lowers itself, humbles itself for the benefit, the blessing, the good, the progress, the joy of another. The Apostle John later would, would refer to this same command of Christ. He says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And folks, if there's one thing I could commend and exhort you in, this is it. You see, Christian love primarily in the New Testament is focused on the family of God. It is primarily focused on the community of faith. That where these one another's are to be lived out is in the life of the body of Christ. It's almost always one another. When you see commands to love, it's always, almost always in the New Testament, one another as he's writing to Christian communities just like ours. You say, well, well but aren't we supposed to love those outside? I mean, certainly there's lost people and they need to, to see us loving them in order to, to understand the gospel. Yes, I, I don't disagree with that at all. It's a wonderful thing, and we do that to, 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 to advance the gospel and the kingdom in this world. We do that. But if you were to take all of the verses in the New Testament that call us to love and do good to the church and put them over here, and all of the verses that call us to love and do good and bless those who are outside the church of God, and this were a scale, that one hits the ground, no question. Those outweigh these by far. Say, well then, well then how will people know? Remember what Jesus said. They'll know you're my disciples. By the love you show one another. And so I want to commend you today in this because you're a very gracious and loving community of people. You really are. Over these past years, watching you support one another, watching you pray for one another, watching you rejoice together uh, as things go well and, and we can celebrate and watching you weep together when things are hard and disease comes and death comes and tragedy comes, depression comes 
and divorce comes. And you walk through it all together in love. You meet needs when they need meeting. You, you sometimes meet, meet needs that, that don't because you're so loving. You're... I also want to exhort us here Because as I say all those things, it it dawns on me that as I describe the way that this church has shown love to each other in the past and how individuals have done that, it dawns on me that some of you are going, I didn't know that was going on. Which shows me maybe a couple of things. First, that you weren't actually involved in it. That you're not actually engaged in loving the brothers and sisters that are part of this body. You weren't part of meeting those needs. You weren't part of rejoicing with those who rejoice. You weren't part of weeping with those who weep. You weren't part of praying when tragedy struck or or, or when we were rejoicing. You weren't part of that. That's a problem. Or the other end of the spectrum where you're going, well, I've never had people act like that to me. I've had needs before. Nobody ever met them. That is equally a problem. It's a problem because it... It shows me, I think, that, that, that we're not engaging rightly. See, if there's no one that you could say, I, I, I'm trying to love them as part of the body of Christ, and if there's no one who you could point to to say, I know they'd be with me in a moment if I needed prayer and support, then the body's not working the way it should. You see, the body of Christ is where you will live out. I think it's where you're called to live out these one another's in Scripture. See, love is one of these eight core values that we have. We went through them all summer, and loving others, loving each other, is one of these core values that we have that we hold very tightly here at Indian Trail. And so we have to be vigilant that we're actually engaged with the body of Christ in such a way that this can happen. It's not going to happen if, if you, and I get these stories all the time of people who, they'll say, oh, do you know so-and-so? They, they, they've come to church a few times, uh, and I'll say, no, I, I haven't met them. Well, actually, I realize you probably haven't met them because they come in late, they attend the 907 service, and then they leave uh, during the last song. And some of you are like, great, I can't leave during the last song. <laughs> you do what you want, but... It, but here's the point. So, so, oh, you don't know them? Oh, you don't know the problems they're dealing with? No. How would I? How would anybody? Okay, we have to be vigilant about engaging with the people of God because this is where you're going to live out the command. You're going to be obedient to the command to love others and you're also going to benefit from the blessing of others loving and supporting and praying for and with you. Does that make sense? So this is the context that, that we're talking about, that, that biblically we have to be engaged here. Okay? And, and if you want to just, this is my bent, and obviously this month this is on my heart, but why are, why are we going to so much trouble with these? Because we want to give Betsy something to do to make cool pamphlets, right? She just doesn't have anything to do. No, we're, we're doing all of this because we truly believe that engaging with the people of God is a healthy thing. And if you can't see it now, you will. You will. You're going to see love lived out here. You're going to see a a true community in the faith, in this body of Christ. And so our heart for you, yes, is that you would engage in one of these groups because we think it's a venue where this can actually happen. So 
I commend you here and I exhort you. We have further to go, even with all we've done. Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. This is just one of these aspects of, of his prayer that I love. This abound more and more. This is, this is very uh, vivid language. It's, it's picturesque language. When he talks about abounding, the wording is supposed to conjure up images in your mind of, of something that's, that's being poured out. If I had a five-gallon bucket here and, and, and I turned on a hose and it's, it's starting to, to fill up and I don't turn off the hose, I just turn it up higher. Just more volume is coming out. And this bucket now is overflowing. And it just keeps overflowing and overflowing. That is the picture that Paul wants of our love. That, that, it's, that it's just abounding. There's always more of it. Okay? There, there's never a situation in which your love runs short, that it, that it runs dry, that you don't have enough. Practically, this is hard. So, so his prayer is that our love spills over, abounds. And so I would ask, does your love abound? Does your love for other people abound? Is there always enough? Does it continue to overflow? Or is it the case that maybe your, your capacity to love is on about a quarter of a tank? And you've got just enough love for a few people. The ones who are really, really nice to you. Paul's picture of our love truly growing in this Christ-centered way is, is a supply that doesn't run out. It, 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 it continues to pour out. It pours out on, on anyone who needs to be loved, on anyone who who God brings into our path. See, see, this type of thing, this is really easy in some ways, isn't it? Jesus actually talked about this, that, that love isn't all that hard. It's easy to love who? Those who love you. Now, I'm going to keep this in, in the body of Christ here because I think this is primarily what it's aimed at in the book of Philippians, it's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love those that you get along with, with, with those couple of girlfriends who take you, I'm talking about a woman right here, not you men, that'd be a problem, okay? You, you go with a couple of your friends to coffee and, and every week you, you get together and you pray for each other and, and it's great. But what about, what about, how's your love, so your love abounds to them, it's just overflowing, it's just gushing like a frappuccino. But then you go over to these other people and, and there's some other sisters in Christ that you deal with. Maybe they're at another table at the Bible study and you've had some conflict with them and you heard someone say that they said something negative about you. How's your love tank? Well, they don't deserve... What? Don't you know what they did? Don't you know how they've hurt me? See, it's easy to love those who love you. It's hard to love those who don't. See, and this is where 
this is where you will get this so wrong if you define love primarily as feeling. Primarily as affection. Love is about volition. Love is about choice. So that person who gossips about you, that person who slanders you, that person who gives you a hard time always and every time and butts heads with you every time, in that moment, it is your choice to act in love, whether you feel it or not. And that's what you're called to. That's what I'm called to. Our love is to abound, overflow, meet the need, and go beyond that need, even in that situation, even with those people. It's my prayer that your love may abound and might overflow more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. In a sense, this is an odd way of speaking. It's really phrased weird, quite honestly, that your love may abound with knowledge and discernment. Literally, it's in knowledge and discernment. Those two words, are, they're pretty closely coupled, that knowledge and discernment. And, and this, don't think of knowledge uh, in this text as um, what I know, what, what I study, what I uh, grasp from learning. It, it's not that type of knowledge. In fact, there's two different words, and this is a different type of word. This is the type of knowledge that happens over experience, As you walk through uh, life, you gain experiences and you just come to know some things, right? Like parents, you understand this because you look at your kids and as your kids grow up, uh, they continue to say, I know, I know, I know. You, You try to teach them something about life and the way that this stuff works and they say, I know, I know. And you're going, no, you don't. (laughs) But you will if you keep doing this, okay? That's the type of knowledge that, that Paul is, is after here. And discernment is very closely tied to this. That as you walk through this world, you're, you're experiencing things. And so your knowledge is truly growing. And then this discernment is, is the ability to see the reality that is, that is there. You're, you're discerning because you no longer see the face of things. You know what truly is. This is what Paul is calling us to it saying that your love may, may abound more and more as you learn truly what things are in this world. And, and if you look, he goes on and says, so that you may approve what is excellent. The New Living Translation might actually have it as close as we could get it here. They say that, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And then they say, um, so that you may understand what really matters. Those, those things that are excellent, in other words, that you walk through this world and your love abounds in, in the right circumstances, that your love would abound as you know what really matters. This is loving with wisdom and, and knowledge and discernment. This is loving in ways that, that you know truly benefits and blesses others. This is loving in context in which you know that it matters to God. These are the places he's called me to love. These are the people he's called me to love. And you do it out of obedience. This is why Jesus says, 
I give a new commandment to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. John gets even more startling in his first epistle. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is where Paul is going. He desires that this church, or I would say any Christian church, truly loves the people within. That they, that they love one another and, and that that love proves that they're disciples. It shows off the glory of Christ because it's not normal. It's not normal to love people who gossip about you. It's not normal to love people who butt heads with you. It's not normal to love people who hate you. And so as you do, there's something unique, you see, about Christian love. Because as you do, and somebody looks at that and says, why on earth, why on earth would you choose to do these things and act in a loving way toward that person? Do you have any idea what they've done to you? Christian love says, do you have any idea what an enemy of God I was? This is why the gospel is the center of everything. Because even as you love, you take as your pattern, you take as your motivation, the very love of Christ. This is why the Apostle John can say, those who don't love, they have not been born of God. They have not known God. But those who do have been transformed by his love. that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. You might know things that really matter and so be pure and blameless for or until the day of Christ. Pure and blameless. Blameless is not sinless. This, this isn't that, that we're not going to stumble in this. But pure in our, in our pursuit of love, pure, pure in our pursuit to be disciples, to reflect the love of Christ. This is maybe another good one that, that we could picture. You see, this, this idea of pure uh, what had to do with, with a light source. So, so if we could do this, if we could picture this, uh, here's what it would be. That, that in a, we'd, we'd go before our Lord and what he would do, if this were possible, he would take an x-ray of your soul that just shoots through your soul, okay? Sees everything there. And what you're looking for, what you're after with that x-ray is, is a pure life, a pure heart in love, okay? So that would mean nothing shows up on the scan. And so I ask you, do you think that, 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 that as you're thinking through this right now, and for some of you, even as I've talked this first few minutes, you've already got like three people in your mind who you essentially hate, and you know you're not loving. So if God was to put you in front of that spiritual x-ray and x-ray your soul, where would the black spots be? 
Where would the spots of unloving, unchristian cancer be? He's after a type of love that leaves us pure and blameless before God. Folks, this is, this is where I'm convicted too. I'm not just yelling at you, okay? I have big problems with this. It's easy for me to love those who love me. It's really hard to love those who don't. It's really hard to walk into a situation and bless someone and act in love Especially maybe when you've had an argument with somebody. And you say, but, but if I'm nice to them, they'll think they were right. They'll think they won. I think you're laughing because you also have been there. If God was to, to shoot this x-ray through, where are those spots? See, it's easy to abound in love until someone's difficult. But this vision is, is of a pure pursuit of love, of discipleship for Christ. So, so our calling is to let our love grow in all of those contexts. Yes, with brothers and sisters who, who we're good to and they're good to us, but also in those ones that are difficult. We trip over. Let your love grow for, for your good, for their good the good of this church. Let your love grow. Again, he says, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's the last thing we'll say. Let your love grow for God's glory. Let your love grow for God's glory. In other words, this isn't just about you and it's not just about them. This is about God. This has implications for the glory of God. Okay, I mean, you even think about the verses we've already looked at. By this, you will prove to be my disciples. Our very discipleship, our very following after Christ, our very glorying in Jesus Christ has to do with how we love one another. Why does God's glory grow? Why is it magnify? Uh, magnified as we abound in love more and more. Back, back out of this a minute, actually. Think about this another way. In these verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, what is it that Paul is doing? Look at verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul's telling us of the content of something that he is praying Okay, now real quick, we're going to go very elementary. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Okay, four-year-old knows that. Prayer is talking to God. But prayer is asking God for something, to do something. Okay. See, this is so obvious, I think we take it for granted what Paul is doing is Paul is asking God to do something so that your love starts to overflow. Say, so, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
I thought it was my choice. I thought I'm supposed to choose to love people. Yeah, and you know when you will, when God, by his spirit, overwhelms your heart with the glory of the gospel, and then something begins to happen in you. It's not apart from God. This is why at the last day, God will be glorified in your love. God will be glorified in your discipleship. Because in the beginning, it was his work, and he will complete it until the day of Christ last week. Remember that? He's the one who's going to grow you. He is the one who's going to work in your heart. Have you ever wondered why the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing that's mentioned, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. What, what, is that, what does that mean? It means it's something that the Spirit of God is working in a Christian person. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not of your own work, in your own will. And this is why God is glorified because we have been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm reminded here of John 15 that says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. But that as we're connected to Christ and as we're dwelling on the sacrifice of Christ and the love of Christ, that our love begins to overflow for the people of God. That God has so done something in us, so affected our heart that our love begins to grow. Paul said it this way in Galatians, in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision neither counts for anything. Only faith working through love. That a true faith, a, a saving faith is one that, that, that will begin to produce this kind of love for the people of God in the community of faith. So I can exhort you today, let your love grow for your own good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. So, if Christ was to call our church in, there's now eight churches in the book of Revelation. And he was going to talk to the, the church at North Indian Trail. What would he commend us for? What would he exhort us to? What would he warn us of? Let your love grow, so before him you will be pure and blameless.